Hello to our listeners and welcome to TNT ESQ. Along with my co-host, Reese Thomas, I'm Teresa Quinlan. We make up TNT. For those of you that don't know, it's our name, Thomas and Teresa. We're here to explode the status quo, because this series is all about talking with people who are helping us to think differently, so we can start doing differently. On our previous episodes of TNT ESQ, we have spent time introducing our guests by their role or their qualifications or a book that they wrote or something related to status of achievement. And while our guest today has all of those kinds of things, I wanted to do a somewhat special introduction. So Arlene Mendoza is BFF material. And this comes with high accolades because Reese and I are the only ones who call each other BFF. I'm in the club. <laughs> you are, yeah. We all met via Humans First, and Arlene is likely best known within that community for her power of storytelling, but also the exceptional way in which she maintains connection with people. You know, sometimes we have connections with people who are, oh yeah, we're part of a group, and that's it. Or we have one conversation, and that's kind of it. You know, for me, Arlene and I have virtual conversations. She sends me video. She calls me on the phone. She sends me texts. She's definitely the one who works at the relation. You know, <laughs> sometimes relationships are 50-50 and sometimes they're like 75-25. <laughs> Arlene has this exceptional quality of that human's first connection. We are insanely excited to have you with us today to get a sprinkle of your stories, lessons, and insights. So welcome to TNT. I'm really excited. So thank you guys for the invite. It's really exciting when someone says, hey, would you like to have a conversation on our podcast. I feel like it's such an honorable ask, of course. Yeah, we can resonate with that. Reese and I have been asked to be on podcasts. We're recently being asked to be on them together, which is really interesting as well. Well, I think also, and I don't follow too many like video podcasts. I just listen to the audible version, but I think the three person combo is, I don't know if you guys invented that or if it just has been. Yeah, yeah we totally invented it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you guys all credit. <laughs> all credit, all props. Thank you. Our conversation is an opportunity for people to sort of eavesdrop in. And I think this is going to be really a great one because we're going to sort of explore around the theme of honoring the push and the pull that can happen in our life. And sometimes that realization comes from an acknowledgement of experience or life lessons or something has happened in our life. And, and then this becomes something that we dedicate a lot of time to. So we call it people's obsession in a good way. And there's a story that kind of kicks the, off that journey for us. So we are on pins and needles for you to share how this all began for you. You know, I didn't know about the push whole concept and what's interesting is I hadn't really considered it in that format until I worked with a coach about three years ago and she talked a lot about are you pushing yourself and pushing this rock up a mountain or are you on the flip side and getting the momentum of the rock down the hill I think I do, I do a lot of I've done a lot of push and at the same time, though, there was like this constant pull. And one of the things I remember was when I was in college, five years, I was, and I graduated at 23. And everybody had, you know, you'd line up for your jobs and your work assignments. And three weeks after graduation, I told my parents, I'm moving to Europe. 
I don't know what is going to happen, but I know I need to go. I, need, I know I need to do something that's completely outside of the norm and what is like traditionally expected maybe once you get a degree and once you get your, that little piece of paper. And like the, the strongest recollection is just saying kind of like no to the traditional normal mm-hmm. expectations and saying, I'm going to go with this desire, this pull that is really, really strong in terms of a different experience, a different environment, a different culture another part of the world. And that was a really defining moment, I think, in terms of one, going with that into, like going with what really fueled my soul, but at the same time, breaking these barriers, breaking these norms, I'm sorry, breaking these norms of what everybody else was doing. I think it's really interesting because when we talked before about this, it was almost as if you were doing your duty, you, you were being dutiful, perhaps is a better way of saying it, by following your commitments to, your school to your parents whatever it might be you did all that you played you ticked all the boxes you played by all the rules and then you thought damn it this is time for Arlene this is Arlene's time this is time for me to go do something for me so you were pulled all the way across the other side and you had a fabulous time over there but I'm wondering did you then have the same pull that brought you right back to that family yeah that's an interesting interesting story of how I came back or what what led to that and I want to add to what you were saying, Race, a little bit about the honor piece that I felt. Comparing that to me, you know, 17 years ago and then now, um, and how back then it was like me, I want to go, I want to do this. And at the same time, it did feel this. I'm gonna, am I honoring my parents' sacrifice? Am I honoring like traditional like norms? Am I honoring all these other things that I aspire to be, you know, in terms of like getting a job and doing all these things? And at the same time, the experience of being abroad was truly for the experience. There was no timeline. I bought a one-way flight, got all credentialed up, and um, and then I taught English. But then the pull to bring me back, I was living over there with my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend at the time, and his mom got sick. And so it was this pull of it's time to come back home and take care of family and relatives. And so that that was the the crux of what then brought us back yeah we'd been there 10 months and it felt also like a good time to leave I don't know if there's like these times where you just feel like I've done the experience and I've lived it and I made some phenomenal friends and memories and I thought I'm okay heading home like buying that flight home felt good it didn't feel as if I was missing out on something so I think that's another uh, interesting point of going and doing whatever it is you're trying to do and then it's completely okay then to pivot and shift What I'm loving is the universal issue that perhaps many people have with expectations, norms, and how they can feel like they're crushing you when they aren't aligned with your path and direction. And so you have this moment or moments or years, depending upon how long you stay in it, of the internal conflict of I should, but I don't want to, but you really am supposed to, but man, I wish I... And coming to this space of feeling it so intensely where you know it's the right decision for you to make. And sometimes we don't need to have the conflict internally because we have expectation is aligned with value and aligned with desire. And so those decisions just seem easier to make. But both of them come from an emotional experience. One of them is in conflict with something else that's happening. And one of them is not. One of them is aligned with it. So... Oftentimes we think, oh, it's just easier. 
But the truth is, if we're all, I think, this is my opinion, of course, if we're always listening to our compass, the decisions generally are fairly easy to make. Mm. But we don't. We're not standalone people. We're not on islands by ourselves, only needing to consider ourselves. <laughs> we have other people that we are around, and it's important for us to consider them. And that's sometimes where I think that ping pong of I should, I shouldn't, oh, maybe it's supposed to, oh, but my family, it, it comes into play like that. You know what I think is interesting as I'm listening to you about the ping pong beat and this like honoring of your own emotional state and your feelings and how I, when I was 23, I was very, like Reese was saying, like, this is about me. I'm doing it. I wasn't aware or probably as considerate. I mean, I thought about it and I thought about, oh my gosh, I, my parents are going to get upset and they're not going to possibly understand what I want to do and what I want to experience. But then fast forward, like later throughout my life. And then I, I got settled and worked and it, and started to get like into the system, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that then as I got a little older, to your point, Teresa, I started to feel more, like, I don't know if it's responsible is the word, but feel like I would have that tension that was, that was much stronger. Mm -hmm. like, like going, so I, I, it took me 10 years to go to grad school, even though I know I, I wanted to, and this tension of, should I do this, should I not? Can I do this, can I not? this whole thing in my mind and it's like grad school like I'm not moving and uprooting my life ish as if I was moving to Europe but it was still this internal tension and it just is an interesting concept of how as I've gotten older these decisions seem harder mm. I think I'm more aware of my parents sacrifice I'm more aware of just the, the migration the, the things that they had to endure maybe because I'm just a <laughs> maturity or something. something comes with this age thing right and I have felt as if like a responsibility and I want to add this other responsibility of to like being an individual who has a level and like is working for these promotions in a corporate where there's not a lot of females and there's not a lot of like Latina females in my work in my environment and so this other responsibility of trying to drive that conversation I think all these other layers started I started to understand like almost like Arlene you have a responsibility like and so that tension felt stronger sometimes I think this is the piece that a lot of people don't get early enough in life yes you're influenced by all of those things and yes genetically you're created by two other human beings but I'm one of four kids and all four of us came from the two parents and the two sets of genes. <laughs> <laughs> but the millions of ways that those genes can express themselves is ridiculous. So four unique human beings came out of that. Yes. And not only do we look different, we behave different. We have different capacities for trailblazing for what our responsibility is, who we are at the core, even our values as individuals are also unique. So to think of yourself in this great big world, what percentage is what percentage? And like part of that percentage is just who you are and has nothing to do with anybody else's influence. It's just you. Yeah. Gary Turner had a guy named Cornell on his show and I don't know if it was like um, the odds, right, of how we're all created. Like it's like one in a billion or like some crazy thing and this the odds of like who you are, how you're built, that you are created in this one moment. The craziest concept for me is like, you just are who you are regardless. Nothing else is, is as defining as who you are in the existence of you. 
right? No title, no this, no that, no, no piece of paper. Like that's all an external thing that has been developed or constructed. You're just beautiful being you. Beautiful. Um, so when you were talking, Arlene, what came up for me was this idea of the, like a dichotomy between self and service. So like when you're younger, you're learning what yourself is, but you're just pretty much being in a role in a service type of role, but then grow up that self becomes more prevalent and you express it in different ways by choosing your own path. Whereas the service bit is still there. And then I get it, maybe it comes full circle and you, you start to remember, like you said, you, you start to respect and honor the, the service that your parents have done and you want to pay respect and homage or whatever to that. And so it becomes a kind of balancing act to create this kind of, you're still very certain of who yourself is, but you also incorporate the service part into it. And as you grow older, the two things are no longer separate, but they become one from knowing a bit about your story, which you, the way you weaved and the way you kept changing and coming back and the two things seem to intertwine, create who you are today. That was my thought anyway. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting point of like self and service. I never thought about it in that, in that concept, in that format. And then like you're saying like, do we then eventually unify? And I would say yes, Reese. <laughs> That's yeah. it's a really philosophical, deep. It's this is deep thinking into a couple of things. Like, how am I operating within my life right now? How long do I need to sacrifice the self? How many times do I need to say thank you for someone else's sacrifice when I never asked? They just did. That was their journey was to sacrifice and make these decisions and do that for their family, for their children, for whomever. Like right now, we're, if we just talk about child to parent sort of relationships, because I think about me as a parent with my son as well. And sometimes I hear myself say things. I'm like, oh, no. What I hear myself saying the most is wherever you are, I will also be living. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is he like, oh, mom. <laughs> yeah, because I can't imagine not having him at my disposal, but that's very self-serving for me as his mother. It's got nothing to do with his life. What I'm asking is for him to sacrifice his choices so I can be close to him. And that's, it's so selfish to think of, right? So as a parent, huh. I shouldn't be asking my child to sacrifice the self. I also shouldn't be asking them to say, thank you. I chose to have the child. Yes. What, what has appeared to be like a radical move, like Arlene, why would you do that? Or why do you move here? Or why are you like moving over to up to, you know, I'm in California and then why are you doing this? Why are you changing this job? Why are you quitting this job? And I'm wondering if a lot of that tension, just conversation with my parents has come from this pull, what you're just saying almost as if, I don't even know if they are aware this attachment like i don't have i don't have children but it's really fascinating to hear just the like the internal dialogue of that bond that's created and then what happens when your little human has this desire to manifest and become themselves and how does that influence and impact decisions and then it goes back to what you said earlier trace around trailblazing mm -hmm. And um, I had a friend tell me like, hey, you like to change lanes a lot. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I do. Totally do. And if an individual or like, I don't know if a parent isn't wired that way, mm -hmm. but the comfort of me is to, my security is to be in this mm -hmm. kind of exploratory world. 
I'm wondering just on a bigger macro level, like with all that tension, how many people have the little whisper or like a little, a little, a little pull into doing something else. We're okay living a little in that ambiguous spot. Hmm. And I think that for me has been a place of all, like lots of fear, lots of anxiety, panic and joy and extreme like, happiness like all of it <laughs> yes yeah. the parent with the push stereotype yes. but as Teresa said so actually a lot of it is is the pull you have to stop yourself from putting your son at your disposal which I love that quote you have to be able to pull back no one tells you you just it's intuitive you kind of think I haven't got to this stage yet by the way I'm just uh, visualizing you, you swap from that role of pushing them to be forward to you have to fall back and let them go on their own. You know, there comes that point. They have to let you go. You have to let them go to Europe to uh, teach English in, in Rome. I mean, that sounds pretty amazing personally, but you, and then you just have to take a, a backseat almost, but still being there, still having all of those same emotions that you just described, having all those anxieties, all those fears, all those desires for them. You know, it's a difficult situation, but your own story, if we go back to that, you went to grad school, you did all these things, you proved yourself in this arena, you changed lanes, you did it again, you did it again. Mm-hmm. And then there was something that happened. And I know that last year, you just needed a, a reset, you needed to stop, you needed to think, maybe you were reverting back to that 23 year old Arlene who needed to do something just for you. 15 years ago, whatever it was, that was going abroad and doing something completely different. But now, more wiser, Arlene, <laughs> those are the journey is an inner journey rather than an outer journey and so you took that time to discover what it is and from what we've talked about already it sounds like you're you found a really you're calling in, in the job the industry if you can call it that where you're working now links with everything that is your personality and it took that inner work that it took that time out to discover that so maybe you can share with our listeners how that discovery happened I spent 13 years in corporate, one year in biomedical, and then 12 in more automation and uh, enterprise software management. In 2018, I got to a place where I felt, I don't know if you guys have experienced where you're tired and a bit fatigued and stressed, but you're don't, or I didn't really acknowledge it as like, I'm getting burnt out because that word to me felt so, I wasn't strong enough. I'm not tough enough. Like, the burnout is for somebody else. I can work, I can grind, and all these other things, health-wise and mental health, <laughs> it'll be fine, right? Or, or I'll get to that. So, you know, this is not really working out. And even to the point of my parents saying, hey, you're a bit stressed and you may want to take some time off. And I think I, I fought that for a really long time because, because I felt this piece of pressure that when you've gotten some promotions and you've gotten a little bit of success and a little bit of titles, you know, behind your belt, I needed to prove myself even more to people and leadership and the world, I don't know, the world, (laughs) myself, my parents. And I think I stayed and I have, I realized I also have a threshold for endurance. Like I can really endure some tough situations. And then I got to a point where health wise and, um, back issues and hip like hip issues that again I was ignoring like I just remember getting out of bed in December of 2018 and being 
there's got to be a different way in that pull of I got to go. And I made the decision to give my notice and leave. And January 19th of 2019 was my last day. And I literally woke up the next day saying, I'm going to make a decision from my heart. Mm. I'm going to take some time off and, and make a pivot because the joy was leaving. The happiness was leaving. The, fe- the feeling of fulfillment was leaving. And I thought there's got to be a different way. Like you were saying, Reese, this inner journey of what does that even mean, right? People say take sabbaticals, people say take time off. But honestly, for the first couple months, it felt as if I was wasting time because I'm wired in my brain for this like productivity, productivity, do deliver output, like physically deliver, not just like sit and deep listen to myself. Like I needed some tangible outcome. I slowed down and just gave myself that space to sit with a lot of uncomfortableness for months of I'm wasting time. I should network. I should network. I should get out there. I should (laughs) be looking for my next gig. But the reality was no, my next gig was like, Arlene, check yourself and reset values, systems, limiting beliefs. Get rid of the pain so that when the vision is clear, you're moving toward it as opposed to being in something that is just pushing you away. So, you know, when we're pushed away, we tend to run to something that looks greener, but it really isn't, ends up not being it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was really afraid. Well, and, and I feel like that. there were so many things I did from fear because I was afraid of getting a new job. And then I would be, because I just only knew a certain type of industry and a certain type of, I had a certain type of network. I was afraid that I would go back to like that type of work. And I was really in this paralysis phase of, I need to like really deep introspective work on what is it that I want? Why do I want it? And create like a mission statement, I, some guiding pillars for myself and really go and explore things that I typically don't like take. I took an acting class, like <laughs> cooking classes and writing. I took a lot of writing workshops just to tap into a different piece of what I could explore and expand into. These to me all sound like modes of expression. And if you've been suppressing for a while. So if your self, the core of yourself is like, I'm in here, <laughs> like really yelling. And we only, we only know it as sort of, I'm uncomfortable. I'm not really sure why yet. And then that voice gets a little bit louder. And so you, you looked at all of these different ways. The ones you mentioned are all modes of expression, personal expression, discovering who am I at my core? What is, what is my vision? Vision boards were something and are something that are tremendously popular because this is what they help people to do, is they help them to define what's the vision. Because when I know what that is, then I move towards it. That's exactly what I do. No longer am I being pushed around by fear or by anger or by these other emotions that, well, they serve a purpose because if we can pay attention to them, we know, wait a minute, I'm getting pushed around. These things are pushing me. Let me just turn around and take a look at what's behind me here, pushing me all over the place. And if I can resolve that, then I can make decisions on purpose. Yeah. Well, and like what you're saying about the vision, I didn't even have a grandiose vision. Like I was in search of what do I mean by fulfillment for me? What do I mean by success for me? And then I also went 
through this process of what had I established as success or as fulfillment in the past 10 years? And what did I want to carry with me and keep with me? And what just no longer served me? And then it was like writing and journaling and drawing and talking to a lot of people. I had about 40 informational interviews where if somebody on LinkedIn inspired me, like if content inspired me or a podcast or an old buddy inspired me, I would just drop a little LinkedIn note and say, you know, could we chat? I'm in a pivot phase. Could we chat? I had been in a certain type of world and a certain type of role and conversations were a certain, there were certain normal topics, but I hadn't expanded my own ability to think differently because my network was like this. So it took some effort to expand my network and it was a little, it was a little uncomfortable because I, it's like making new friends. Yeah. As an adult, <laughs> let's be clear because making friends as a kid, super easy. Making yeah. friends as an adult, all of a sudden not so easy. And then I felt this internal judgment of myself because I felt of this, when I'd reach out to people, I'd say, Hey, my name's Arlene. And usually people say, what do you do? And I had the most difficult time. For the first couple of months, I said, oh, I used to work in this capacity because I felt so attached to like that identity. Mm -hmm. And so I think there was this other piece of unraveling the identity that I held mm -hmm. over here because I couldn't say I'm Arlene and I'm in a career pivot. I couldn't even say that. Arlene, you have to say you're a former this and la 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 la. And you, you accomplished like this, mm -hmm. which gives you the permission to be here and, and be in discovery. Like, where the heck did that idea? Like, so it took me some time to even acknowledge that, say that, talk about that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how many other people or how many other these, like, because this is just one piece of identity conflict, but there's, there's many. And how many of us aren't comfortable just saying like, Yo, this is where I'm at. Yeah. All those things that you described, all of those actions that you did, new skills that you did, all of the word that links for me is creativity. So you, creation comes from creativity. So you were doing all these new skills, you're expanding your horizons, you're meeting these new people, you're putting yourself into uncomfortable places so that you could grow, but really you were just expanding so that you could see what was already there inside. So mm. you found your your role, you found, found your new identity, the identity that was already there that didn't need accolades or accomplishments or accreditations to hold you up. You were able to stand up all on your own and in doing that, you found this new role which is clearly making you very happy. Yeah, I think, I think one of the biggest gifts that I worked and I received in the last year was the gift of clarity. And as I was writing, doing a lot of sticky notes, I'm a, like, I have a philosophy, like the human centered design philosophy and the design thinking activities that creative problem solving is like hundred percent me. There's an author named Bill Burnett and he teaches a course at Stanford's design school and it's about designing your life. And it's all of these human centered activities in terms of observing energy management, joy, happiness, sadness, emotions, like taking an inventory. And so I did a lot of that. And what came out of a lot of that work was stillness, awareness, connection, and technology. Like those became the pillars. I don't know if you guys ever feel this or you guys ever come to this moment where there's certain words that 
kind of come out that that resonate with you and they, they're just you and so those four words started to bubble up for me and then it led to like this clarity of I want to scale tech for good in order to amplify human connection and it's weird how these like things come at you because I'd be somewhere at a coffee shop or I know writing writing a post or just doing and this like this continuous word flow would come to me and so once I had that clarity then I found the opportunities and people I'd meet. And when people say, hey, what type, what, type of, what type of stuff are you looking for? And I could just say these things. Then it led me to this path of meeting with the CEO. All of this, uh, I want you guys to know, happened on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. so the power of LinkedIn is once I had the clarity and I was reaching out to some more contacts saying, hey, I'm, ser I'm searching for roles in this innovation space rooted in human-centered design, scaling tech for good. And I like, you know, strategy and a couple of things. And that then I felt created an introduction to an organization called Aluma and meeting a lot of with their staff, which is more of an introductory call, you know, meeting, not an interview, which was like literally human-centered design policy and tech for good. Like that's in their mission statement. Shut up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, wish I, I wish I had their little we have this thing called the greatness agenda and then we have these pillars and they want to be, so Aluma wants to be the most human centered design social tech firm. I thought, whoa, the clarity allowed me then to get into conversation, not necessarily a role, but a conversation with the people who are running this organization, which is all about, I work on creating an environment to expand the possibility of software solutions or technical solutions for social services. So federally funded programs for individuals, they need access and usually they, there's a software solution or there's, you know, like little pull down menus that give you eligibility and criteria and say, you know, Reese, you're eligible for X, Y, Z. But we take a look at it from the human centered design angle of technology is second, but what's the lived experience of that individual getting benefits and how do we build solutions around them. Amazing. I love how passionate you are about this. And, and it reminds me of the phrase that we said when we first sat down and a quote, the Michael Beckworth quote, and it was like pain pushes until the vision pulls. So as you described you creating your, what you wanted and it manifested and then you found the, the company which had the exact same statement in their, in their mission statement is kind of crazy, but also kind of magical. So what, as much as we could probably talk to you all day, we need to um, get to our hashtag not anymore question. So, so one of the first things from what you talk about your story, I, I wrote, you know, don't let others' expectations dictate your own exploration or your own inspiration. Teresa keeps mentioning, listen to your own compass, which to me means your heart. And I'm sure you probably all agree with that. And then the thing that came up to me, you touched on your burnout thing and, and lots of people it seems to be a familiar pattern where people wait till something's broken before they fix it, before they address it. And you, you had these warning signs, you had these inclinations that something wasn't right. I mean, even, even your own parents telling you, you should take a break. I mean, that must be a pretty big, <laughs> a pretty big clue. That's like a big sign because um, they, they can, and they have some steadfast <laughs> endurance. Don't, don't wait till something's broken to fix it. You know, these, these are the sort of questions that people can ask them. So don't wait until it's broken before fixing it or you know, something along those lines. Thank you for recapping that, Reese. I wanna 
add the, the power of community. There's no way I'd be talking to you. There's just no way I'd be in this situation where I am mm -hmm. had it not been for community and in search of community and connection. In those places of transition or whatever type of transition, without that sense of belonging to a community and someone kind of putting that mirror up to you to say, hey, like, you're cool. Don't worry. Things are cool. I've been through this or I've been through something similar. Mm -hmm. It's very, it can be very isolating and lonely because I felt that also at times. And community, the Humans First community helped give some type of foundation. Mm -hmm. um, so I would encourage everyone to also regardless of what decisions you're making and that tension, that push-pull, be in search of community if you don't have that. And if you do, reach out and say, I'm going through some stuff. Can I share? The people who, without hesitation, will say yes. Yes, absolutely, for sure. And then perhaps don't preempt that with, well, what do you do? What are you trying to do? Like, they don't need any of that. They just say, yeah. Because those people will know how to hold or create the space for you to explore without having to fix your problem for you, without having to like dive into being sucked in by your emotional state, without having to ask a whole bunch of qualifying criteria. And you may have to go through, like you said, you may have to go through a few people before you land on them, but trust that you'll get better at identifying who they are as well. Agreed. Agreed. Absolutely. And yeah, you said that certain words popped up to you. And, you know, for me, connection is absolutely one of those words. And it keeps just coming back again and again every day. And it seems to be driving everything that we're doing, whether it's you know, through Humans First, whether it's through this podcast, whether it's just through LinkedIn right. and reaching out and having those connections. Like, find your community, but then double down and strengthen those, those connections because that's where the, the real opportunity lies. Yeah. As we're talking about community, we want to share with people who are listening who have no doubt had a great uh, connection with you uh, during this podcast. How can they get in touch with you? And then also, what do you have on the horizon? Because I know you've got some exciting things you want to share with us. So I am on LinkedIn, Arlene Mendoza. And feel free to drop me a note in the message. And I love Zoom calls. So I love connecting with people. Things on my horizon are... I'm doing a workshop for um, Latina engineers, Sheptinas, which is the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, so S-H-P-E, and then Tinas, <laughs> um, and that's in California, in Merced. And then I'm also going to be in Toronto. Uh, I'm part of a network called SHEO, and we're a women's investment network for female-led funders. So I'm in Toronto, March 9th and 10th, and leading one of the panels and then I'm leading the art of meaningful conversation, growing your revenue or growing your revenue one conversation at a time. And it's more on the listening aspect of conversations. And I'm hosting a workshop at the No Longer Virtual Conference in Chicago, March 12th. Awesome. Fantastic. Okay. So as we always do, we like to finish with our rapid fire Q&A. Ten statements, two choices. Interpret as suits you. Okay, number one, manager or leader? Leader. Number two, active or reactive? Active. Number three, black and white or gray? Gray. 
Before, optimist or realist? Optimist. Number five, Canada or England? Mm. We can always edit out the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> can we have somewhere in the middle? Yeah, there's plenty of space there. <laughs> <Isn't that> the <laughs> can we be fair? Uh, number six, heart or head? Huh. Head that, I mean, heart that battles with my head. <laughs> okay. Uh, number seven, empathy or assertiveness? Empathy. Mm. Number eight, introvert or extrovert? Ambivert. <laughs> Good. Nine, logical or emotional? Log logical ish, but very emotional. <laughs> I'm not doing a very good job at this. Logical, <laughs> yeah, we've had that one for. Uh, number 10, innovation or process? Oh, innovation. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun, a great topic that we've been talking about. I hope all the listeners have enjoyed learning more about Arlene and, and getting a better idea about the push and the pull and borrowing your heart. Um, Teresa, do you want to have the last uh, last word with your BFF? I had so much fun every time we get to have a conversation. It's a little bit more of your soul and your spirit and your story. And it just, you're a magnificent human being. Thank you. We love to hear all of your feedback here on TNT ESQ. So if you've enjoyed this show, you've learned something, you've been inspired, please share it with your friends. Please rate the show. Please write a review on whichever podcast uh, platform you enjoyed it on to help us spread the word, help more people think differently and more people start doing differently. Thank you.